taken from the first chapter of Ephesians, and it's starting at verse 15 through to verse 23. So that's Ephesians 1, verses 15 through to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening, everyone. And a very warm welcome to St. Paul's. You can say good evening back, you know, it is allowed. Good evening, everyone. Thank you. It's not school. You don't have to say good evening, Adam. Well, that's fine. Uh, it's very nice to be with you, particularly nice to be talking about this passage. Uh, as Jonathan has said a few times, we're thinking at the very beginning of this term about uh, various themes to do with prayer, uh, as we particularly focus on our prayer life as a community this term. Uh, and then um, in two weeks' time, we'll begin thinking uh, about uh, uh, Daniel and one Peter uh, in our morning and evening services. Particularly nice to be talking about this passage. Uh, if you know me and have been um, uh, at anything that I have run, you probably already know that these verses are quite important to me. They have always been quite important to me. If you were here for us for Living Free uh, last year, last year uh, I prayed this prayer over everyone uh, a number of times as part of that Living Free material. Uh, as I came to prepare for this evening, I came to realize that two things were true. One, uh, that I have actually never actually preached on this passage uh, before, uh, uh, which was uh, interesting in itself. The second thing that's true is that every single time I have preached, this passage has come out in some way or another because it's so instrumental uh, to my life. So I would love for us to pray together this evening that something of my passion for these verses uh, will come out in what I've got to say uh, and hopefully uh, inspire us uh, afresh. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it does inspire us. And we pray this evening that you would indeed open our eyes, that we might know your hope, your inheritance, and your power. That you would draw near to us and help us to know that you are here. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. Before we begin, I wonder if you just turn to somebody near to you and tell them a time in your life, if you can think of one, where your perspective has changed in some way. It might be something that's happened in your personal life. So uh, last term I talked about how having our daughter Ellie changed my uh, perspective on life a little. Uh, it might be something that's happened in the world. Uh, so I remember 9-11 as being a thing that was particularly perspective changing for me. Slightly terrifying that a number of you weren't born uh, when that happened in 2001, uh, but never mind, that's fine. Uh, but just think about something either in the world, an event that's changed your perspective on life, or something that's happened in your own life, and just share that with a neighbour, and I'll be back with you in a moment. Thanks. Okay, hopefully you've had a chance to chat with somebody near to you and you've had a chance to share one of those two things. Um, you're going to need to be able to see a screen. I realise in this layout it's not as easy to see screen, so forgive me for the, uh, the, the craning of neck. I'd love to just watch a clip with you. Forgive me if you're a Puritan and love the original version of this film from the 1950s, I think it was. Um, this version's a little bit shorter and a bit more up to date. Let's watch just this minute and a half of this clip. for more after he has eaten his supper. He did, sir. That boy will be hanged. There we go. If you've not seen that film, then I highly uh, recommend that you do. It's a great film. Why have I shown you that? Why did I ask you just to talk to uh, the person next to you about perspective? I think these verses, uh, for me, were a time in my life when my perspective changed massively when I first grasped hold of these verses. Before then, I think I saw God a little bit like the master in that Oliver film. Perhaps 
uh, cruel or perhaps certainly in charge and distant. Certainly, I would never deign to go and ask for more. And if I did, I would only expect a very small and meagre additional portion. As I prayed this week about this passage, I sense the Lord's given me uh, three things to focus on. Very helpful, given I'm an Anglican, it's always good to have three points for a sermon. And so that's what we've got to think about this evening. I mean, they all focus around this word, more. More thankful, more hope, and more power. Firstly, a question, do we need to be more thankful in our lives? Verse 16 of our reading says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I wonder if you recognize the need to be more thankful. I wonder if you indeed recognize the things that you have to be thankful for. Had we begun reading from verse 1 of Ephesians, Paul lists a number of things there that we have to be thankful for. He says, we have every spiritual blessing. We're chosen, we're adopted, we're given grace, we're given redemption, given wisdom and understanding. I could go on. We already have all of these things. Do we know that? And are we people who have not stopped giving thanks for the things that God has already given us, I wonder? Or have we stopped giving thanks? Charles Dickens, again, writing about the American festival of Thanksgiving, said he thought it was an odd occasion. And he said, instead of having one Thanksgiving day each year, we should have 364 days of Thanksgiving. And we should then use that one day for all of our complaining and our griping. Interesting idea, isn't it? There's a recent survey done, and it asked the question, what do you need in order to be happy? Only 11% of those questioned said they already have everything they need. The rest said that they need more money or a bigger house or a better job or a better car or perhaps something to do with a relationship. Some of us, I think, have ended up only being thankful based on our current situation, current, based on what we've currently got going on for us rather than through what we've already been given, what we already have. Paul writes elsewhere in the New Testament, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He writes these words from prison, having learned that God was enough for his life, despite being in those conditions. Now, if you've listened carefully to me, um, you may have spotted that I may be digging myself into a little bit of a hole here, because I've said that I want us to think about having more power and think about us having more hope in our lives. And yet I've just spent the last few minutes saying we need to be more thankful for the things that we already have. Are those two things compatible, I wonder? John Stott, who was rector of All Souls Langham Place, a great New Testament scholar, says this. Some Christians seem to do little but pray for new spiritual blessings, apparently oblivious to the fact that God has already blessed them in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Others lay such emphasis on the undoubted truth that everything is already theirs in Christ that they become complacent and appear to have no appetite to know or experience their Christian privileges more deeply. Both these groups, he says, may, must be declared unbalanced. We must have an appetite to experience more of God's work in our lives. Tom Wright, uh, the previous Bishop of Durham, another New Testament scholar, suggests that too many Christians today are unaware that Christ's power is here and is available for us. 
But we must do this with an attitude of thanks, recognising that those things are already there for us. With that in mind, then, I wonder, do we today perhaps need to know more hope in our lives? Verse 18 of our reading says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Three words I just want to quickly focus on there. Heart, inheritance, and hope. Heart uh, is, in the Greek, the word is cardia, from which we get cardiology and all those things. But in in the Bible, the word is never meaning our physical organ of our heart. It's always talking about our spirit. And in this case, it's addressing our spiritual eyes, that they would be opened to the world around us. Inheritance, whenever inheritance is mentioned in scripture, it's always about what God wants to give to his people. In the Old Testament, it's about land, uh, the Israel. And in, in the New Testament, it's about the new heaven, the new earth, the new creation, the kingdom of God is our inheritance. And that word, hope. I've asked this question before, I know. But do you know that you know that you know that your hope is secure? Do you know that you know that you know that your hope is secure? If we know what it is to have our eyes opened, to see this and know this hope, this inheritance, it should transform the way that we live our lives. Uh, many of you know I've got a little boy called Jacob. He's uh, just turned three. And we took him swimming a little while ago. And because we're quite nervous parents, um, we wrapped him in all sorts of flotation devices. He sort of walked around a bit like this, not able to move very far or very quickly. Uh, and uh, the first time he got into the water, he was very tentative. Uh, and he slowly walked into the water. The next time, he sort of sat on the edge of the pool and sort of slowly dropped himself in. The next time he went along, he sort of walked in a bit and then eventually he got out of the pool and started dive bombing into the pool knowing full well that the flotation things that we'd attached to him would bring him back to the service. He had confidence in them. Joyce Mayer who's an American preacher says we don't need to have self-confidence, we need God-confidence. Someone on the door this morning suggested that we could call it Godfidence, uh, quite like that. We need to have Godfidence, we need to have God confidence in our lives. Jess and I know this quite realistically at the moment, quite closely to us at the moment. Um, I'm one of the curates in this place. Curacies is a a trainee vicar role. It's always a period of time, somewhere between three and four years. And we're coming towards the uh, end of uh, the beginning of the period when we think about moving on from this this place. No idea how long that will be. Some of you will be delighted by that, I'm sure. Uh, Maybe one or two of you might not be as much. Um, But we'll be going from this place at some point in the next year or so we expect but at this point in time we don't know when God will call us to a new place or indeed more importantly perhaps where God will call us next but yet we have this Godfidence we can trust God and know mostly through previous experience we were called quite clearly to this place. We were called to the place we went before that. We were called clearly to the place before that. We know that we can trust in the hope and the inheritance that God has for us. We can walk in that confidence, knowing God at work in our lives. How confident are you in the hope that he has for you? Do you know that you know that you know that in the hope of your salvation? 
Or are you a bit like Oliver in that film? Or perhaps even worse, a bit like the other orphans in that film, not even deigning to ask for more, preferring to keep your head down, preferring not to hope. Perhaps you're all right with that. Perhaps you're feeling fairly confident. You know uh, what your hope is. You know what God has in store for you. You know that you can trust him. Perhaps this morning you need, or this evening even, don't quite know why I had a nap this afternoon. That's why it feels like morning. Uh, perhaps this evening you need to know more of God's power in your life. Or you may know this story. I don't think I've shared it, but someone else may have done. On the 23rd of March in 1960, during the Mau Mau uprising in Kenya, two missionaries were returning one night to Nairobi through the heart of the Mau Mau territory, where Kenyans and missionaries had been killed in the past. 17 miles outside of Nairobi, their Land Rover stopped working. I'm sure that doesn't normally happen. Sorry to all the people that work for JLR in, in the room. Sure, it doesn't normally happen. They tried to repair the car uh, in the middle of the night, but they couldn't get it to restart. Uh, and so they knew they would have to spend the night in the car in this very dangerous place. And so as they went to sleep, they spoke the words of Psalm 4 over themselves. I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. They drifted off to sleep and in the morning, in the light of day, they were able to fix the car and go and continue their journey. The night before they left Nairobi to return home, a local pastor visited them. And he said that a member of the Mau Mau had confessed that he and three others in his gang had crept up to their car that night intending to kill them. But when they saw that there were 16 heavily armed men surrounding the car, the Mau Mau had left, uh, terrified. This, obviously, left the missionaries a little confused. They hadn't seen these armed men. When they got home, a friend of theirs asked if they'd been in any danger at all during their time there. Uh, and they asked why, and their friend said that on the 23rd of March, that same day, God had placed a real burden on his heart to pray for them. And so he'd found a number of people in his church, and 16, the same number, gathered in the church and prayed for them continuously until that burden had lifted. When we come to anticipate more power, more of God's power in and through our lives, it's perhaps stories like that that we move our eyes to, things that we come to expect. Maybe we expect to see God's power at work uh, through, I don't know, the healing of horrible diseases, or perhaps with hundreds of people coming to Christ or being slain in the Spirit. All of these things happen. All of these happen, things happen in God's church in this country. And all of these things indeed point to his wonderful and amazing power. We may ourselves know people who have seen God's transformative power at work in their lives. It may be that we've had experiences ourselves of that power. If you were at our carol service a few weeks ago, you'll know Sylvie's testimony, God's amazing power at work. And our prayer should be for more of these things, for us to see more of these things happen. Paul's own example in our reading is of Christ being raised from the dead, the most powerful thing ever to have happened. And he says that power, that same power, is available to us. But sometimes I think this power looks a little different. 
Tom Wright, again, says many of the things which God's power has achieved in us, such as putting secret sins to death and becoming people of prayer, remain hidden from the world and even sometimes from other Christians as well. Think of Mother Teresa, perhaps. The power of God moved powerfully and wonderfully through her. And yet she appeared to the world as someone perhaps gentle and not powerful. I said at the start that these verses have been transformational in my walk with God. And I have been fortunate enough to experience some of the whiz-bang, some of the healing, powerful testimony in my own lives and in the lives of those I'm close to. But I would say that I've seen God's power most at work in me through the trust that I spoke about earlier. Some of you will know my dad passed away uh, when he was just 56. I was just 11 years old. And after that, I found that I would plan every single situation I got myself into to the nth degree. Literally, I would think through everything that could possibly happen and plan it so that nothing would again take me by surprise. I never found myself trusting anyone or any situation. When I truly came to grasp these verses a good number of years ago now, I experienced God's power at work in me. To go from that place, that learned behavior of planning and expecting and working through to go to the place where I am today, where Jess and I have this confidence in whatever it is that God is calling us to, knowing that we can trust him, is a powerful and amazing transformation. For me, as powerful and amazing as seeing angels on top of a hillside. And we have to hold these two, perhaps at first glance, seemingly very different experiences of God's power together. Knowing that actually both are examples of his power at work. Fundamentally, we need to remember that our faith is is not about the knowledge of something, something in our heads, but it's about the knowledge of someone. It's not about the knowledge of something, something in our heads. It's about the knowledge of someone. It's about opening our spiritual eyes in order that we may see God. One of my favorite passages of scripture beyond this is from the Old Testament, from two kings. Uh, And in this, it's talking about Elisha and the king of Aram. And the king of Aram's got very annoyed with Elisha because Elisha keeps discerning all of the king's plans prophetically and he's getting in quite frustrated and so he decides that he needs to capture Elisha and he sends a huge army of horses and chariots to go and capture him and the next morning Elisha's servant heads out of the tent sees all of these armies and all of these chariots and goes and walks back into the tent and says oh my lord what shall we do isn't in the scripture it's my added in extra bit I'm sure he did go like that oh my lord what shall we do and Elisha said do not be afraid those who are with us are more than those who are with them and Elisha prayed lord open his eyes so that he may see And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Note, Elisha already knows and has certainty in what is there. He knows the hope that he has. He simply prays that his servant's eyes will be opened in order that he may see it. Paul too prays that our eyes will be opened in order that we may see it. 
So perhaps today we need to ask the Lord to open our eyes for the first time to see his hope and his power at work in our lives. Perhaps, however, we've allowed our spiritual eyes to become closed. Perhaps we've closed our eyes to the work of God and cast our eyes on the things of this world. Perhaps we've allowed our experiences to dictate our expectation rather than allowing God and his promise to dictate our expectation. We need to pray that God will open our eyes. We do this in order that Christ will be glorified. Paul writes uh, in the final verses that God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is about Christ, because of Christ, and for Christ. So what are you going to do about this this evening? Do you want to let this evening go by, living life as you always have? Or do you want afresh that transformative power and hope in your life? I'd love to show you this picture. It's one I'm sure you've seen before. It's by Holman Hunt. It's called The Light of the World. It's one we've used in a number of sermon illustrations. I've used it myself last year. Jonathan's used it a number of times over his years here. It's one I'm sure you've seen before. It's on the screen if you can't see that version. Uh, it's taken from uh, Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And obviously it's Christ stood uh, beside a door, knocking on the door. And the famous thing about this picture, which you'll have been told before if you've seen it, is that the door handle is on the inside. It's for us uh, to open this door. Uh, about eight days ago, a number of us gathered in the lounge to pray uh, and seek the Lord uh, for this church, something we're doing once uh, a month now, uh, and you'd be really welcome to join us. As we did this, the Lord brought this picture to my mind and asked me a question which I'd like to ask of you. What is your response to this picture? When you think about opening the door, undoing the handle, how have you found yourself do that? If you imagine yourself in this picture on the other side of that door, how are you opening that door? That door's covered in flowers and weeds, perhaps. There's probably mud at the bottom. It's possibly an old door that's a bit stiff and uh, needs a good pull. Maybe uh, as you think about that, it's a slow opening of the door. I believe the Lord is calling us as a church to fling wide this door this was the door of our homes, hopefully we might fling that door wide open to see Christ truly in all his wonder, his majesty and his power. So I wonder this evening if you need to know that picture and to fling wide the, your doors, the eyes of your hearts, open wide the eyes of your hearts afresh to God today. Does that need to start by being more thankful perhaps? Do you need to know that you know that you know the hope to which you have been called? Do you need to know God better? Do you need to see his resurrection power at work in your life? Let's pray together that he will open the eyes of our hearts and that we would see him. I wonder if you would stand with me as we come to do that. Maybe the band will come back.